Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend we're, we're continuing our series uh, called Carols, and we'll actually finish it up next weekend in our online service, but, but this weekend we're continuing our series, and um, we've been looking at some Christmas carols, and I think I had some unhappy people with me last week because I blew up uh, the Christmas carol last weekend a little bit, and I, I will attempt not to do so much damage this weekend, um, but, but this weekend we're looking at a classic. It literally is um, recognized by UNESCO as a, a world heritage piece of art, and it's the Christmas classic Silent Night. And some of you right now are thinking, don't you mess with my silent night like you did last week. And I won't. Don't worry. It's not that bad. Um, It was composed in 1818. Uh, The music was composed by a a schoolmaster in Austria named Franz Gruber. Now, Franz Gruber, if you're a movie fan, is not to be confused with the German who took over Nakatomi Plaza in the Christmas classic, Die Hard. And it is a Christmas classic because it happened at Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie. So when my wife says, let's watch Christmas movies, I'm like, heck yeah, let's watch Christmas movies. She's not a biggest fan though. So it's not Hans Gruber, it's Franz Gruber. It was composed by Franz Gruber, but it was actually written as a poem by a Catholic priest named Joseph Moore. And um, as is custom for pastors to do, Joseph Moore went to Franz Gruber on Christmas Eve morning with his poem, and he said, hey, can you write a tune for this before the service tonight at our church? Which sounds like such a pastor move to me. That sound, I've known pastors that have done that. So sure enough, they did. Uh, and they couldn't play it on the organ because the organ had been damaged by a, uh, by a flood. And so they had to compose it on acoustic guitar, and he played the acoustic guitar, and it was a big hit. The, the congregation, the parish loved it. And when a man came out to repair the organ, he heard the song. He repaired the organ. He played it. He fell in love with it. He took it back to the town that he was from, and a few people picked it up. And before you know it, it had become very popular. Um, and now it's, it is ubiquitous when it comes to the holidays, when it comes to Christmas, uh, you hear it all the time. Um, even people who are not religious know the lyrics to Silent Night. And, uh, and the original version had seven, had seven uh, verses. The, the English version we sing today only typically has three. So let me read a few of these to you. It says, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Now, I've I've told you last weekend that Christmas carols are not intended to be a theological thesis. This is not intended to educate us as much as entertain us. Um, And so there's a couple things I want to point out about the song that I think are important. 
The first was this. Um, it wasn't a silent night. Do you know how I know that? Because there was a baby involved. <laughs> Have you ever seen parents of a newborn baby? They look like zombies, right? Their eyes are all sunken in. They haven't had enough sleep, had enough food. They're just like dragging themselves into work, into church, whatever it is. And you're like, oh no, are you okay? Like, yeah, I got 90 straight minutes of sleep last night. It's like, that's horrible. And they're like, no, it's really good. Like, I'm so grateful, 90 straight minutes, right? You're like, ah, they're not doing that because the babies are sleeping silently, quietly through the night, right? The babies are crying. The babies are demanding, I want something. If you still want to argue with me, have you ever been sitting on an airplane? Come on, you know. And I know for the record, nobody wants to sit by me on an airplane. I'm a big guy. And if you don't know me, I look scary. Because when I get on a plane, you know, you got to wear a mask. So I've got this big black mask that I put on. Well, it's actually not that big. My beard is pouring out of it. So I've got this mask, and I'm usually like in a black hat and a black hoodie. And you would see me and think, this guy might kill me before the flight is over. <laughs> Which I'm okay with. <laughs> because I fly southwest a lot, and I know if I sit in my seat, um, if we have one empty seat on this plane, it's going to end up next to me because people do not want to sit by me. Um, and I'm okay with that. But I'm telling you, when I'm sitting there and I see a mom with a baby get on the plane, I'm like, oh Lord, please don't let them sit by me. <laughs> and it's not because I hate children, I love kids. I just don't want a crying baby next to me on a four hour flight. I don't want that. Why? Because it disrupts your peace and your silence, right? Um, people are hoping like, oh, please let them go away to the back. Please let them. And some of you that are parents right now and you fly with your kids, I, I promise I love you. I do. But babies are not silent. They're not quiet. If you don't believe me, we've got some kids in our church that I bet their parents would let you babysit for a little bit to display that kids are not silent. And Jesus was a human baby. He was an actual human. So he was he was 100% God, 100% man, but he, he, he set aside his glory and he was functioning as a human. So he was crying just like a normal baby would cry. It was not silent. Another thing we see here is that it wasn't calm. Do you know why I know it wasn't calm? Because Mary gave birth without an epidural. There was no pain relief for her. It wasn't like she was just like, Boop. oh, the baby is here. The Savior has arrived. And he, hello, mother. Hello, Savior. Like, that's not how it went. It was a natural birth. She was pushing a baby out, right? Let's be honest. And that stuff, it's messy. I've been in the room twice. And I love my babies. My babies are precious. And I'm so happy to have Abby home for the holidays. It's great. She's my baby. But when she and Emma were born, they were disgusting. <laughs> They're like, Dad, you want to hold her? I'm like, you want to hose her down first? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll hold her. I'm exaggerating. But come on, let's be honest, right? There is nothing... 
clean or peaceful or calm about this situation. Yet the lyrics say, silent night, all is calm, all is bright. And we get this idealized version of what the nativity was, and it is just not factual. The reality is it was a mess, and it was chaotic, and it was crazy, and things were going on, and things were happening. And Joseph, I have to imagine, was not just standing by, like, like rubbing her arm, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm sure he was freaking out a little bit because his baby was being born in a manger. Not ideal. And we've idealized the nativity to such a point that I think we believe that this is just normal. This is what it should have been like, and it's not at all. In fact, I think the opposite is true. I think it was a mess. It was chaotic. It was crazy. And I think God knew what he was doing because in the midst of that mess, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the chaos, Jesus is born. The Savior. And I think the same is true for us today. Our lives are messy and chaotic and loud and noisy, and it's not what we thought they were going to be. In fact, as Kim referenced earlier, <clears throat> there's so many people at this time of year that they don't have great joy when we think about Christmas because we're thinking about lost loved ones. We're thinking about opportunities that were lost. We're thinking about all the things. And the reality is we've got family in this church that are battling for their lives right now. We had one last night that passed away. So this season is a hard season, it's a messy season, it's a challenging season. And yet in the midst of the mess, Jesus shows up. And that's what he does. It was by design, he did this originally, and I want you to know he does this today. And we try to avoid the mess, don't we? We try to avoid anything that will mess up our plans and mess up our direction and mess up our, we want everything clean and linear and easy and comfortable. But that's not what life looks like. And when we try to avoid the mess, reality is we avoid things that are really important, really valuable and really helpful in our lives. And I wanna share a few of those with you this morning. The first thing I'd tell you is this. Fruit doesn't happen without a mess. In John chapter 15, Jesus said in verse five, he said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me I, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can, <clears throat> you can do nothing. <clears throat> then in verse eight, he said, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my father. So what Jesus says is, <clears throat> you are supposed to be producing fruit, and not just baby fruit, but he said much fruit. There should be a harvest from our lives. And he said, in fact, when that fruit is produced, it is evidence of who you're connected to. In this example, he's talking about being a, a, a limb that's grafted into a fruit tree. And he said, it's evidence that you're actually connected to me, that you're actually my disciple when you're producing fruit. And I don't know if you know this, this is messy. Producing fruit is messy. Do you know how I know that? Because most of you don't produce your own fruit, you go to the grocery store, right? And we think that's a task because we get in there and we're inspecting and looking and squeezing and we have no idea what we're doing, right, if we're honest. Um, 
We're trying to figure it out, but that's what we do. But this is the problem. Some of us do the same thing spiritually. We've stopped producing fruit and we're fine just consuming fruit. So we'll come to church and we'll consume and we'll go, well, that was a good song or that wasn't a good song or they didn't sing it the way I wanted or Mel was funny today or he wasn't funny today or that really hit home or what was he talking, whatever it is. It's about our consumption, what we are consuming and it becomes more about that than it is what we're producing. And scripture has a lot to say about what we produce. And the reality is when we're not producing fruit, things don't get done. The kingdom doesn't advance. Lives aren't changed when we're simply consuming. But we like clean, don't we? We like to avoid the mess at all costs. When I was a youth pastor, my very first youth pastor position, uh, I was youth pastoring in White House, Texas, in East Texas, and uh, our youth group had begun to grow, and on a Thursday morning, my pastor comes into my office, and he said, hey, we need to talk. I said, okay, what's going on? And he said, last night, a couple of our board members were walking through the parking lot after your youth service, and they found cigarette butts. Okay. He said, what are you going to do about that? I said, clean up the cigarette butts? And he said, Mel, it's a problem that we've got kids who are acting like that that are coming to our church. And in hindsight, what he was really saying is, we don't want those kids infecting our kids. We don't want those kids bringing bad habits to our kids. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I want every kid in the high school, in the junior high, in the elementary school, if they're smoking, bring them on, right? Like, I'm not gonna give them the cigarettes. I'm not gonna let them smoke in youth service, but come on, those are the kids I want in church. But his perspective was, we don't want those kind of kids around our kids. And... This passage I'm about to read to you became very real and very powerful to me. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse four, the writer of Proverbs says this. He says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So this is what the writer of Proverbs says is, he says this, if you want clean barns, you've got it, you can have it. But if you want a clean barn, you can't have a harvest. The only way you have a harvest is if you have a messy barn. Because I don't know if you know this, cows and horses and donkeys make messes. I don't have to get more graphic than that, do I? They make messes, and there are messes to clean up. But if you don't want a mess, you're not going to get a harvest. And all of us love harvest when we start talking about, you know, harvest festivals. And you're like, yes, Lord, spiritually bring a harvest. I don't know if you know this. We've got a few farmers in our church, um, and I've lived, we've lived in communities where there were more farmers, but harvest is a busy season. Did you know that? See, we like, we like the reward of the harvest, the fruit of the harvest, but we don't want to do the work of the harvest. See, the work of the harvest is hard. The work of the harvest is before sunup and after sundown. The work of the harvest is messy. No lunch breaks. You are working through because you've got to bring in the harvest. So we want the, the produce from the harvest. We just don't want the work of the harvest because the work is messy and it's difficult and it's challenging. But what we don't understand is if, if, if we don't want the mess, we won't get the harvest. 
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter nine. He said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. And what he's saying is this, we don't have enough workers. Does that sound familiar? We don't have enough, we don't have enough people to do the work we need to get done. There are people who are calling out. There are people who aren't putting their hours in. There are people who, who just don't see the value of the harvest. So what Jesus says is, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest that people will awaken to the value of the harvest and they will understand that yes, it's hard work and yes, it's messy and yes, it's challenging, but it is worth it. He said, pray that God will send those people to bring the harvest in because the harvest was ready. And if, if, you, if you're a farmer, you understand one of the worst things that can happen is for you to lose a harvest. And that's an earthly crop. We're talking about souls, it's eternal. And Jesus says, pray that God would help people have the vision and the, the foresight to see that it's not about our comfort. It's not about our, our cleanliness and, and being easy and having things go perfectly. It's about saying, God, I don't mind the mess if I get a harvest out of it. So God, bring it on. And that's what the kingdom needs. That's what our world needs, our people who understand that the harvest doesn't happen without a mess. So God, give us a mess. The harvest is worth it. Second thing is this. Perspective doesn't happen without a mess. <clears throat> I'm not as big a baseball fan as I used to be. I realized during COVID, I don't know if you're like me maybe, during COVID I realized I didn't miss sports that much. I was like, meh. So now I can kind of take it or leave it. And we can talk about sports. I can stay engaged, but I'm, I really just don't follow it hardly anymore. But I was a baseball fan, a pretty big baseball fan for a while. And uh, there was a, a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer named Joe Torrey. Um, he managed the Mets and the Braves and the Cardinals and the Yankees. Most famously, he was the Yankees manager and during their World Series runs. And uh, he's in the Hall of Fame today. And when he was in the midst of his World Series runs, I, I heard a quote that he gave. He said, unless you have bad times, you can't appreciate the good times. And maybe you've heard a sentiment like that before. And what he was saying is, um, when he was in the middle of his World Series champions and these teams that were winning 110 games and doing great, he said, I couldn't appreciate this unless I'd had my bad seasons. And as a, a St. Louis Cardinals fan, um, I saw some of the bad seasons when he was the manager for the Cardinals. The 90s for the Cardinals was a bad time to be a Cardinals fan. They were not very good. Uh, they didn't win much. Um, it was ugly, okay? Um, and so what he was saying is, I appreciate how good things are because of how bad things have been in the past. And that bad gave him perspective to see how good the good actually is. It's funny because I've had um, a number of staff here and at my last church as well that it's interesting. One of the, one of the corollary thing, uh, effects is if somebody has never worked for another boss or another church or pastor other than me, they typically don't like me as much. But my staff who've worked for other pastors they like me. <laughs> and it's not because I'm an awesome pastor, an awesome boss. It's because some of them have had some terrible bosses. And so what they do is they go, man, I've had a bad boss and, 
and I will take you over my bad boss every day. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means I'm not as bad as their worst boss. Does that make sense to anybody? So they have perspective. So I've been through the bad and it helps me appreciate, Mel, okay, he's fine, right? Like, I've said this before. I know I'm not a catch, but compared to a couple of the guys that Kim dated before, I'm a rock star. Right? I mean, I am a, a gleaming beacon of hope compared to some of the guys that she dated before. So yeah, her parents like me. Is it because I'm objectively perfect? No. It is because subjectively compared to the others, right? It's like, man, not so bad. We can live with this guy. The bad helps you experience the good. The bad helps you have perspective about the good. And, and we don't like the bad. We don't want to experience the bad in our lives. And like I said, so many people struggle at this time of year because of the bad, because of the loss. But what we see in all reality is the bad helps us appreciate the good. If all we had was good, we would never know how good it really was. In Psalm chapter 37, David writes this psalm, and he's a little, it's a little later in his life. And listen to what he says. He said, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Another interpretation of this says, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. So he says, when we are submitted to God fully, he directs our path. And then it says that he's interested in every detail of our lives. And now I know you probably are like me, and there's things that I, I will go, now nah, I'm not gonna pray about this, because I mean, it's not that big a deal. What, am I, what are we saying? We're saying, well, I don't wanna bother God with this. But what the psalmist says is, uh, David says, every detail of our life matters to God. Every single detail. No matter how mundane, how small, God says, I wanna be a part of that. This is the way God loves us. He, he loves us in such a way, he wants to be involved in every detail of our lives. I love my girls, but they share stories with me sometimes, and I'm like, are these details important? Can, can, we, can we, okay, what is the point of the story, right? Because I'm impatient at times, and I'm like, we are meandering around, we're circling the runway, but we're not landing, so what's going on, right? But God's a better father than I am. And God goes, no, 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 I wanna hear every detail. Tell me everything. Don't leave a thing out. Because God wants to be involved in every detail of our life. That's who he is. He goes on to say, though, the, though they stumble, talking about the godly, the righteous, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Listen to what he says, this is, this is important. Once I was young, now I am old. Yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. What is he saying? I've got perspective. I can see things differently than I, I could before. Now, I am sure there were times in David's life that he had experienced hardship. In fact, we see it throughout scripture. We see uh, the fact that he was the baby brother, the, the runt. There is some evidence that he wasn't even, uh, didn't have the same mother as his brothers. And he was probably uh, lower on the, the totem pole, so to speak, 
That was one of the reasons why when Samuel asked, do you have any other kids? He was like, oh yeah, I've got David in the field because he was an afterthought in some ways. We see David, um, as he's on the run for his life, we see David as he um, has a moral failure. We see David go through betrayals from his family and friends. All these things happen to him. And he gets later in life and he says, hey, I want you to know something. I'm an old man now. I see things differently than I used to. And I want you to know this. I've never seen the, the righteous forsaken. Now, in the middle of that, in the middle of our mess, it can feel like we're being forsaken, can it? In the middle of it, we can go, God, do you even know what's going on? Do you see me? Do you recognize the pain I'm in? But what David says is, I've got the power of perspective. I've been through some things. And I can look back and see that in all my times and all the people I've been around, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Why? Because he's got perspective. See, his perspective is broader, it's wider. He doesn't see in the moment, he sees the big picture. Because he's got perspective. Perspective doesn't happen without a mess. Life gets messy, life brings us perspective. The last thing is this. Joy doesn't happen without a mess. Philippians chapter three. Paul is uh, writing to the church at Philippi. And he's talking about, in chapter three, he's talking about his desire to pursue God and know God and be intimate with God. And he says in verse 10, I wanna know Christ and experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or the other, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I love this, because he says, I wanna experience the life of Christ so much that I'll do whatever I have to do to experience that. And he's acknowledging, if I wanna experience resurrection, I've gotta experience the suffering and the death as well. And see, a lot of us like new life, like, yes, give me new life, but I don't want to deal with the death. I want resurrection, I just don't want the death. Can we work that out? And Paul says, no, 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 in order for there to be resurrection, there has to be death. And I understand that. I am one with Christ in all that. And a couple weeks ago, I mentioned to you, sometimes we have to wait on God and one of the examples I cited was in John chapter 11 when Jesus, his friend Lazarus died and Jesus was called to join them and he delayed and he waited till after Lazarus died and he finally got there and they had discussions and I'm sure that there was some tension. I'm sure that there was some frustration. He'd just gotten there sooner. And so they're having these conversations and Jesus cries he weeps, and then finally he says, hey, roll, roll the stone away. And Lazarus' sister goes, Jesus, Jesus, uh, he's been buried four days. And it's funny, in the King James, it says, he stinketh. <laughs> that, is, that is a kind way to put it. Like if your child needs their diaper changed, you could say, he stinketh, right? Like, he stinketh. What, what she's saying is, hey, the natural process of decomposition has started. His body is breaking down. This isn't going to be good. I don't know what your game is, but this isn't good. Let's just leave it sealed. That's basically what she's saying. And he proceeds anyway, and he calls Lazarus out, and he literally he stands up and walks out of the grave. 
And scripture tells us that he still had his, his grave linens on. He was still wrapped in these linens that they would typically be buried in. And my thought was, I wonder, as he began to decompose and break down, you know, Jesus could do anything. He's God. But I, I wondered, I wonder if the linen stunk. Right? I'm just speculating. Like, did Jesus, like, he could have made him walk out in, a, like, a three-piece suit, Armani, like, just walk out, you know, fresh shave, haircut. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he didn't. He had him walk out in these grave linens. And he, then he tells them, unwrap him. Get him cleaned up, right? So the implication is that he, the linens probably stunk because his body stunk. And do you think his family received him? And they're like, oh my gosh, Lazarus is so good. Whew. Really. It's really good to see you. Just step away. Just step right. Probably not. Don't you think his sisters just threw their arms around him? And they didn't care that he stunk? Well, what was going on? In that moment... Their mess produced joy, right? They received their brother back, and it was messy, and it was probably gross, and it was probably a little stinky, but they didn't care because it produced joy in their lives. Charles Spurgeon says this. The joys of heaven will surely compensate for the sorrows of earth. The joys of heaven that we can't fathom, we can't begin to understand, will surely be more than payback for the heartache we experience in this world. I think in that moment when they received their brother back, I think that was a glimpse of the joy of heaven. I think we get that from time to time in our lives. We experience something and it's just a glimpse of what heaven might be like someday. And a lot of times that stuff is not produced outside of a mess. There's a passage in, in Psalm chapter 30. I want to read part of it to you. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this verse sung or talked about. But in Psalm chapter 30, the psalmist says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And I'll actually talk about this a little more um, on Christmas Eve. But it's interesting because this, this word weeping here, the root word for the word weeping is, the Hebrew word is baha. And baha means, um, it means to weep bitterly. It means to bewail, lament. So this is ugly crying, right? This is not, you know, you're watching um, a, a Christmas commercial on television, it's very touching, and you have one tiny solitary tear. That's not what this is. This is um, deep pain and anguish, and you don't care who sees you, you are crying full on, right? This is let loose emotions. And he says, weeping may last through the night, and so the psalmist acknowledges this weeping, this sorrow, this mess is going to endure for a season, but it's not permanent. And then he says, joy comes in the morning. There's joy available to us 
it's interesting because the word joy in this passage is different than the other times we see it in Scripture. The word that's used here is a Hebrew word, rana, and rana is not the word that's normally used for joy. Uh, there are three words typically used for joy. This word's only used three times in Scripture, including this passage. And it means a ringing cry of entreaty, supplication, and proclamation, joy, praise. When we look at this word translated in Scripture, it's translated as um, shouts or a shout, singing, rejoicing. See, we read a verse like this, and we go, that's great, Mel. That's great. The joy will come in the morning. But the reality is when we're in the middle of a mess, when we are hurting, when our souls are aching, we don't care about joy. We just don't want to hurt. I just want this hurt to subside. I just want this ache to go away. I just, I just don't want to hurt anymore. That's all we want. But that's not enough for God. That's not who he is and that's not what he does. See, God doesn't just wanna ease the pain. God wants to replace our pain with shouts of joy. Not just joy, but joy that drives us to worship, drives us to praise, drives us to shout in jubilation for who God is and what he's done. God said it's not enough just to ease your pain. I want you in the middle of your mess to be able to shout because of the joy you experience in me. See, Jesus came in the middle of our mess, in the middle of the darkness. I don't think it's any coincidence that Christmas is during one of the longest nights of the year. Because I think that's a metaphor for us. One of our worst points and one of our worst moments, Jesus came for us. We can find joy in the middle of our mess. A while back, we did a series called uh, Lydenity. And uh, Henry Nouwen is a theologian. He's passed away now, but uh, he, we used some of his work to influence and to inform that series. And, and I want to read you a quote from Henry now, and he said this, joy and sorrow are never separated. When our hearts rejoice at a spectacular view, we may miss our friends who cannot see it. And when we're overwhelmed with grief, we may discover what true friendship is all about. Joy is hidden in sorrow and sorrow and joy. If we try to avoid sorrow at all costs, we may never taste joy. And if we are suspicious of ecstasy, agony can never reach us either. Joy and sorrow are the parents of our spiritual growth. We don't find joy in our mess. We don't stumble upon it like we do a pair of sneakers in our room as we're walking through in the middle of the night. Like, oh, my shoes are here. That's not how we find joy in our mess. We only find joy in our mess if we're looking for it. And I know in my life too many times when I'm in the middle of heartache, when I'm in the middle of sorrow, when I'm in the middle of my mess, I'm not looking for joy. I'm looking at my mess. I'm just looking for relief. But we can find joy in the middle of our mess. 
You can find perspective in the middle of your mess. You can find fruit in your mess. But my question is, what are you looking for in your mess? Because Christ has come to us because he loves us. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our tragedy, in the middle of our worst moment, Christ is present. I want to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of our message. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond. But I want you to know, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Kim mentioned earlier that it was uh, maybe two, two years ago on the 23rd, my dad passed away. And some of you are around for that um, really hard season. Um, but through that, I, I had a number of friends who just rallied around me. And um, it just meant so much to me to see that. And they were the hands, in, the hands of God to me. They were Christ incarnate to me uh, through that. And this last week, um, some of you know Pastor Sam Masteller. He's going to be with us um, the end of January to, to, to preach here at Summit. I'm excited about that. But Pastor Sam one of my closest friends and his dad passed away. So the funeral was on Friday and I drove over um, to be at the funeral and I just hung out, I was just there and I didn't do anything. Uh, you know, I talked to him for a couple minutes before and he just told me how thankful he was that I was there and I was present, I went to the graveside and they invited me to come back for the meal with the family afterwards and again, I didn't do anything special, I just, I just showed up. But I know how important it was in my life for people just to show up in the middle of my need. So I just said, I'm gonna do that for him and I did and there was nothing supernatural about it, it just was a friend being a friend. And he told me several times, thank you, I appreciate it. His wife told me. And I thought, you know, I know how impactful it was for me. And I hope it was impactful for him. <laughs> I'm just a guy. There's nothing supernatural about me. There, there's nothing all powerful about me. But Jesus does the same thing. He shows up and he doesn't show up to condemn us. He doesn't show up to tell us how bad we are, how horrible we are, how, how badly we've messed up. He just shows up to be with us. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. He's pursuing us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our tragedy and our heartache and our pain, Christ is there. Does it mean our, our pain is erased instantly? No, no, because sorrow and joy are parallel tracks. You know, after my dad passed away, I had a, one of my pastors said, you know what, you're gonna, you're gonna feel a lot more sorrow than joy, but it'll start to shift. And sure enough, it did for me. It shifted, and now I have some sorrow from time to time thinking about my dad. But man, I have so much joy. For some of you, you're hurting. You're dealing with things. You think, will this ever end? I promise. 
Christ is with you even if you don't sense it, even if you don't realize it. And all you have to do is look and you'll begin to find your joy if you'll trust him. So I know there are people here that maybe aren't believers. Some of you are watching online. Maybe you're not a a believer. You're not a follower of Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity because he's waiting on you. He's been pursuing you since the beginning of time. Some of you are here and you're a believer, but you're struggling. You're in the middle of a mess and you don't feel like you're ever going to get out of it. I want you to know there's hope for you. And we want to pray with you. So if you would, let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for being so good to us. God, thank you that in the midst of our mess, you show up. Thank you for Jesus who came in the middle of our mess to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring life. And so God, I pray you would encourage those who are in the middle of a a situation, middle of a mess. God, I pray that you would work in them. Help them to fix their eyes on you. Help them to to discover true joy. Help them to discover perspective. Help them to, to produce fruit, God, through this. So God, I pray you'd have your way with them. God, I pray for those that don't know you. That, that have never surrendered their lives to you. God, I, I pray today would be the day they would see how good you are. That they would not be, they would not be won over with language. They would not be won over with a presentation. But God, I pray that your spirit would win them over. I pray that your love would win them over. I pray that your kindness would win them over. So God, draw those today who don't know you. Now, with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me today, Mel, I I know I'm not really serving God, but I want to. I want to surrender my life to him. I need him, and I I, I recognize that. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. So if you want to be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? If you say, Mel, I want to surrender my life to Christ today. Pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Would you slip it up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If there's any here, you can do that. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I believe I'm going to heaven, but the truth is I'm dealing with a mess. And it's hard. And I need the Holy Spirit to help me. I need to find some joy in the middle of this. If you'd like me to pray for you, I would love for you to slip your hand up real high where I can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all over the place, all over the place. Thank you. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray a final prayer over you. And while I'm doing that, I'm gonna ask our prayer team and our, some of our staff to join me here at the front of this room. And then after I do that, uh, Pastor Kendall and Pastor Todd are gonna to lead us in one final song. And I would encourage you, especially those of you that raised your hands, I would encourage you to, to come forward during this final song or as we dismiss and let one of our prayer team pray with you today. Let them, let their faith be mingled with your faith. And maybe, maybe you need somebody to believe for you because you can't believe for yourself. 
So come forward and let one of our team pray with you before you go today. But let me just pray for you as our team joins me up here. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. You're the God of all joy. And I thank you that you are the source of joy. So Lord, I pray in this house, you would fill us with your joy in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what we're dealing with, in spite of our heartache. Let today be a day that's a turning point in our lives. God, I pray for those that raise their hands, who acknowledge that they're in the middle of a mess and they need your help. God, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to minister in their hearts specifically, Lord. I pray that you would come alongside them and encourage them. God, I pray that you would begin to shift their perspective, help them to see what you have them to see. God, I pray as this happens, Lord, you're gonna begin to produce fruit in their lives, that God, the kingdom is gonna advance through them, even though their life might still be messy and might still be imperfect. God, you're not concerned with that. So God, remind us that you continually use imperfect vessels for your perfect purposes. So God, minister in us, minister through us today. And we pray more than anything else, help us to discover joy that is not based on our circumstance, it's based on you. So God, I pray joy would fill our hearts. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be an easement of pain, but God, I pray for a joy that would cause us to shout, that would cause us to celebrate, that would cause our hearts to sing. So God, minister in us, minister through us, and help us see that you are in control. Help us to trust you deeply. God, I pray for those that are hurting during this season. Bring peace. Bring comfort that only the Holy Spirit can bring. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.